Well, good morning. It's great to be here worshiping God with you and celebrating baptism. So thankful for how God's at work among us. We are wrapping up a series called Unstuck, and I realized as I was reflecting back on the whole series that really what we've done is not just given us an evaluation tool and a way to get unstuck right now. Really what we're doing is anytime you want to evaluate whether you're progressing the way you should or if there's an area of your life that you're getting stuck in, that we've really given you a good grid for that, some questions to evaluate. And uh, week one, we talked about owning our faults. So we can always ask ourselves the question, is there something I need to confess? Is there something uh, that, I'm, that I'm doing that is displeasing to, to, to the Lord? Uh, the next week was about um, learning from our mistakes. And the question we can ask is, man, should I be doing this differently? How can I do things differently? Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, thinking positively. And the question we can ask is, is my mindset right? Man, am I looking at things the way God wants me to look at them? Or am I getting bogged down in negativity? Last week, we talked about taking the training wheels off and taking risks, and I think the question we need to ask ourselves at times is, is there a risk worth taking that I need to take? So that's where we've gone, and today we're going to wrap up the series talking about focus, keeping focused. In a world of distractions, keeping focus. You know, there's power when there's focus, and uh, you think about water. Uh, you don't think of water necessarily as something powerful. You, you know, you used your faucet this morning. You weren't scared of it. Uh, but when you take water and you put enough pressure in, behind it and you nozzle it down into a fine point, water can cut through stone and steel when it's focused enough, right? There's power and focus. Light is the same way. Light has the power. Uh, when it's dispersed like this, it's no big deal. But when you begin to focus it down into a laser, a laser can burn someone's retina out. I won't do that to you, I promise. But I can threaten it, right? Uh, it, it, no, if you take a laser and you have enough power behind that laser, it can cut through the same stuff, steel and stone. There's power in focus. And the same is truth for you and I. There's power when we focus our time and energy and attention. Now, let me just ask you. Do you feel like I do most days? Like you feel scattered? Like there's a thousand different things that, that need your attention and there's half a dozen fires that you need to put out. And you're like, man, how do I keep focused in, in a, something like that? And, and let's be honest, that is part of life. There are those times and maybe that's part of your job and all that. But how much of us being scattered, how much of us of getting stuck in our personal growth is because we're not focused the way we should be? And on the right things. And so that's what we're going to look at today together is, uh, is getting unstuck by staying focused. We're going to look at uh, John the Baptist. And um, we're going to pick up a story in John chapter 3. John was the hot ticket in the whole region of Judea. Everybody was flocking to him and listening to his teaching and, and watching him eat locusts and do weird stuff like that. And he was baptizing people. And he was the show in town. And then it says this. Some of his inner circle came to him and said, Rabbi, that man you were with on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everybody is going to him. So the people that were following John stopped following him and they started following this upstart rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus. I think I'm doing that. Sorry. They started following Jesus. And his inner circle was pretty upset about it. 
And so he says, listen, I love John's response. He says this. A, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when they hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. In the midst of his old world being turned upside down and literally just a few days from going, this, this attraction where everybody wanted to come and listen to John to where he was now passe and he was not the hot ticket anymore, John keeps his poise. He's unraffled or un, 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 uh, unaffected by it. He said, how could he do that? I love his response. This is his reason why he says, a person can receive only that which is given to them from heaven. You know what he's saying? There are things that are outside of my control that are in the hands of God himself. There are things that I should not worry about or fret over because there's a God of the universe who has ordained them and it is not up to me to decide. He said, listen, this is God's plan. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to stay focused on doing what God had called me to do. John knew his place and purpose in the plan of God. He knew that he was called to be the front runner, the forerunner to the Messiah, the Christ who was to come, the Savior of the world. And he said, I am not that guy. I've only come to set up that guy. And this bride is here. He is Jesus, the Messiah. And he is the groom who has come for his bride, you and I, the church. And he must become greater. And I, I must come less. I don't know about you, but I have a lot to learn from John. That he was so at peace when God began to take away, when God began to narrow his influence, that he was completely fine with it. Can I just be completely transparent? In the almost 15 years of pastoring Crossroads, you're going to make me hold a mic, aren't you? Okay, thank you. Plan B. Thank you. I don't know about you guys, but there's been times in my life where I've I've battled with that. In the 15 years of being a pastor at Crossroads, there are times that I've said, God, these other churches are doing these amazing things or these other pastors, and I become jealous of these other people and thought, God, why won't you do here what you're doing there? Or why aren't you using me like you're using them? And, and jealousy tried to creep into my life. And you know what broke me? There's a few, few times I really wrestled with that in my life. The passage God used to break me of that kind of thinking, this one right here. A person can only receive that which is given to them from heaven. I mean, you just take what I give you. And it's not up to you to decide how much I give you. It's only up to you to decide how well you do with what I give you. So do it well. Stay in your lane. Do everything you can to serve me with, with passion, but I'll decide how much. You know, following John's example means that we do really one thing. We, we begin to narrow our focus on just a few key initiatives and priorities in the world that are important and unimportant. God says, listen, I want you, if you're going to stay focused, you need to focus on what is important and also focus on the things 
you can control. That little sweet spot, that little sliver where the two circles intersect, where things that are important and things that you control intersect in your life are the things that you and I ought to be focused on the most. That's what John the Baptist did. He said, I did what was important. I did what I can control, and I left everything else up to God. So let's talk about each of those a little bit. What is important? You know, I don't trust me to figure out what is important. Do you trust yourself to figure out what's important? Here's what I think needs to happen. Every day, you and I wake up and we get before God's revealed truth and his revealed word. And where he's, when he's speaking to us through the, the written word of God, and he begins to remind us over and over again, hopefully daily, of what's really important in this life. Because you and I can get confused about what's important really, really quickly. We've got people in our ear, all kinds of people telling us their cause is important and this thing's important and buying their products important and having this is important. You're not going to hear it from the voices in your ears outside. And you and I are not going to discern what's important from the posts we read on Facebook or any other platform. And you and I are not going to discern what's important, even from following our own desires from sometimes. We need the revealed word of God to remind us on a regular, daily basis of what's truly important in life. I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time on the trivial. I think about what I'm going to eat, and I'm going to wear, and what I'm going to drive, and what I'm going to buy, and what I'm going to have in my house, and taking care of that, and all the things in life that are ultimately not all that important. I mean, I'm glad you guys got dressed today. That was good. It's necessary. I mean, I'm glad we do this. We have to, there's some level of being a necessity in our life, but listen, just because it's necessary doesn't mean it's important. And so God says, listen, let me draw you back. Let me, let me remind you over and over again of what's truly important in our life. And if we could take what God says is his word and try to squish it up into a couple of key priorities, I believe God would say, listen, what's really important in life are relationships. Really important is relationships. That you would be rightly related to the Heavenly Father and that you don't have anything between you and Him. That you'd be rightly related to yourself. You're not puffed up in pride or you're not beaten down uh, in, uh, in, hum- in um, self-deprivating uh, thought. But you know who you are because of who God says you are. And then you're rightly related to others that you love people and add value to their life and you see other people as strategically placed in your life as people that you can influence and be a help to the kingdom of God, that God planted you there in their lives for a purpose, to love them and add value to them. I believe if you, you just have that one great priority, you're off to a good start. But I'd say there's one other great priority in God's word, and that is the purpose of God, the mission of God. That there's a whole world of people who are disconnected from their heavenly father and they are discouraged and they are, they are um, getting beat up out there and they need a relationship with their heavenly father. And so he's called you and I to the purpose of drawing those people who are, who are in the world, out of the world, into a relationship with God and, and the family of God. You think about those two things, relationships 
and the mission of God, we say it pretty succinctly around here at Crossroads. That's our mission statement. We think we exist as a church to be and build disciples of Christ. And we think every one of you that are sitting here today exists for two purposes. And that is to be a disciple in right relationship with others and to build disciples by going, teaching, and baptizing. And that, if you want to boil down what's really important in life, that's it. All the other thing that consumes, all the other things we fret about, one day won't be a problem. All the other things that consume our time, ultimately one day when eternity comes, we're not really going to care that much. It's just not going to matter. So let's talk a little bit about control. We've talked about what's important. What about what we can control? I think if you and I are going to focus on the things we can control, that means we're going to need some self-discipline to not let our thoughts scatter in a million different directions. I also think it takes a great deal of faith. Because whether you realize it or not, there's a whole bunch of things not only that are unimportant. I mean, this screen could go on for miles of all the different things that we give our time and energy to that aren't important. But on the, same, on the other side, the same thing can be true. There's all kinds of things happening in our world, in our society that, that are just, they may be even be important, but they're outside of our control. And it takes faith to focus on what you can control because you have to entrust everything else, the screens and screens of things you can't control, to God. And say, God, this is, this is a you thing, this isn't a me thing. I've got to trust you that you know what you're doing, that you have an outcome in mind, that you have a purpose in it, that you are working your plan even when we don't see it. You know, you can't change somebody's heart. You can't determine somebody's outcome for them as much as a parent wants to determine the outcome of their kid or, or make sure they're going down the right path. These are things outside of our control. Yes, we pray. Yes, we influence. Yes, we do all we can. But ultimately, we have to leave those things in the hands of God. I get reminded that three times I've had to watch my kids drive out of the driveway for the first time on their own. I'm like, well, it ain't up to me anymore. That one is completely, and, and, you, and I know you're, as a parent, you're praying, oh God, you, God, bring them back home safe. It takes faith to say, you know what, God, they, they, you love them more than I do. And you say, listen, that's why I'm worried about them. And listen, when you're fixated on anything outside of that circle of what you can control, what that's called is worry. Listen, I want you to hear this clearly. If you struggle with worrying about things outside of your control, you need to understand that the God in heaven cares far more about that situation and that person than you do. It's like, you think you care. You think you want them to drive back home. I want it infinitely more. And faith says, God, I can trust you when things are outside of my control. God, I can trust you, though I don't understand. God, I believe that you know what's best for them more than I do. God, I believe that you have a plan that I can't see, that you're working your plan. And that faith says, God, I'll trust you now for what I can't control. Have you ever given somebody back to God, the person you've been hanging on to or the situation you've been hanging on to and you've been trying to manipulate and you've been trying to control and you've been trying to determine the outcome and God says, listen, you're not doing such a great job. The best thing you could ever do is say, God, I'm done with trying to control that. I'm going to give it to you. And entrust 
that you know what's best. You have their best interest in mind. You love them far more than I do. And that you can, I, when we focus on these things, we can ultimately have peace. You know what you can control? Yourself. You and I can control the attitude. We don't get to control what happens to us. We don't get to control the situations that may come our way. We might not get to control. We might not pick everything that God would pick to have happen in our life. But we can control the attitude and the effort that we show up with every single day. We can control the, the desire to follow God, that we seek after his face, that we want what he wants for our life, and that we follow Christ. And we make that decision day after day after day. You know what we can control? The influence we have in the spheres God's put us in, the families he's placed us in, the workplaces he's placed us in, the situations he places us in, that there is amount of responsibility. God says, listen, I've given you our influence in, and I'm asking you to exercise influence for me because that's what you can control. And when you and I, by the grace of God, and his word reminds us daily of what's important, and then by the grace of God, we, 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 uh, we have the faith to trust God to the things we can't control, and we get into that sweet spot, that little sliver. Listen, that's, that's the point of focus in our life. You want to see God do amazing things through your life. Focus on that sweet spot, what's important and what you can control. There's power in that focus. God put you in that family for a reason. God put you with those people for a reason. God gave you that job for a reason. That God has you planted in that place for his purposes and for his glory. Now, we could all go home and say, got it. Important, control, little sliver, sweet spot, go. And we'd have a good start. But listen, I want to warn you of at least three focus killers that I've found true in my life, you might find true in your life. There's some focus killers out there. Number one, we will lose focus if we are focusing on our past. If we're focusing on our past. The scriptures and the gospels record two places where Jesus invited two different men to follow him and they didn't follow him. The first guy says, listen, I need to go bury my father so I can't really follow you right now, Jesus. And the other guy said, well, hey, let me go say goodbye and put my affairs in order, and then I'll come back and I'll follow you, Jesus. And then in Luke 9, it says, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is one of those verses you think, man, Jesus sounds harsh, man. He is pretty, pretty tough on these guys. What's going on? Well, the reality is, in both of these instances, there, there's, a, there's a big, uh, uh, big subjectiveness to their, to their lack of commitment. The first guy, there's no end in sight with the father dying. The dad isn't dead yet. He's waiting for his father to die. And eventually, when his father dies, he wants to be there to take care of it. So he's putting Jesus off in the moment and indefinitely and said, I can't commit to you. I'm stuck here. 
And then the other guy, in the original language, we were learned that when he says, I got to go back and say goodbye, it's not like he just says, let me go throw a few things in my luggage and then I'll pack up the camel and I'll come follow you here in just a minute. Just give me a couple minutes. Really what he was saying is he needed to put his affairs in order in, in like instructing his servants and, and changing over ownership and leadership of his family business and all these things had to be dealt with and administrated before he could come and follow Christ. And he was looking back. And as he's looking back at what I've got and what I have and what I don't want to let go of and what's in my past, then I'm missing out on what Jesus is calling me to today. Both of them. So I think the same thing can be true for us. When we look back in our past and we're stuck in our past, it, it does some things in our head and we miss out on the, in the moments that God's given us today. And some of us think, man, you don't know my past. My past, I, and you think, you, you legitimately think that what I've done in my past disqualifies me from knowing and, and receiving God in my life today. Or some of you think, man, I'm, if you knew what happened in my past, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to serve God. I, I can't be useful to him. I, he can't use somebody like me. Or some of you might say, My past is busted up, and it's so broken that I keep thinking about it. It keeps running through my head. It's affecting my relationships today. It's affecting my job performance today. I can't seem to get out of my own head. I can't seem to be in the present. I keep going back to the good old days, or I keep going back to that hurt. I keep going back to whatever is the dominant thing in your past, and you're missing out on today. Listen, if your past is messing up your today, can I give you a word from the Lord? You don't need to dwell in your past. You need to deal with your past. You don't need to just keep dwelling in your past, mentally going over and over and over what happened, but dealing with it in a constructive way. If you throw the diagram back up there, I want you to realize something. Your past, it's in that circle of importance. I want you to understand clearly, it's in that circle of important. If there's things that are still bothering you today from your past, I can promise you one thing. Your heavenly Father says, it's important to me. And you need to deal with it. You might need to go to a counselor. You might need to seek help. You might need to seek a restoration. And you, might need, you need to walk through a process of dealing with that past and letting the grace of God and the, and the forgiveness of Christ and the new beginning in Christ overwhelm your heart so you can move on and not be defined by your past, but to deal with your past. But while your past is important, it's not ultimately something you can control. That's why you don't dwell on it over and over again. You don't dwell on it, you deal with it. It's done. You can't go back and unchange it. You can't back. No many times you wish that things had gone differently. It doesn't change it. With it. And let, listen, don't live there. Don't focus on your past. Come to grips with it and let me settle the issue in your heart. Second focus killer and this, I don't have a verse for this, this is just where we live in our world today, is that we're, if you, you're always going to respond to distractions. 
If you and I are people that are always responding to distractions, we're going to lose our focus of what's really and truly important in life. I wrote this in my notes. You do not always have to be at everyone's beck and call. Did you hear that? You do not always have to be at everyone's beck and call. That means you can go quiet and go dark and unplug for a little while. You can actually turn your phone off. You can kind of get a break once in a while and not be completely accessible to everyone. You know, this is our enemy. This little device is our enemy. Like 87% of the time, I love having this. It's so convenient and helpful. But that other 13%, it is such a distraction. And it takes my focus off what's important. And there's, there's conversations to be had right in front of me, but my nose is in this. Or there's, there's things God wants to do in that moment, and my focus is on something else. Do you realize that these things, that the average person in America looks at these things hundreds and hundreds of times a day? Hundreds. And every time you and I take our focus off something that's important and we're investing in and this thing goes off and we feel the compulsion to look and see what's going on and who texted me or what's the snap or what's the latest tweet or whatever. It takes emotional and mental energy to refocus on what's back important. And if that's happening over and over again in our day, it's a wonder we're not all ADHD and all that stuff, right? So, I got two steps for you. One is eliminate distractions. If you can eliminate a distraction from your life, let me just say eliminate it. And, and what I mean is simply this. Um, if you're uh, having a date night with your spouse, listen, silence your phone. Put it on Do Not Disturb. They actually have settings for that. Did you know that? I say, this is more important. Whatever text is going to come in, this is more important. If you're spending quality time with your family, that's more important. If you're focused on something, you're counseling with somebody or having a deep conversation or you're praying or you're reading God's word, you can make a list of things. You say, listen, these are the do not disturb moments in my life. Because what's happening here and now right in front of me is more important than anything that could come in through this device. Yeah, I asked a pastor friend of mine, he's a retired pastor, someone I admire, and I said, hey, tell me about your phone. How often did you have your phone on? He said, man, I had my phone on all the time, all through the night. I get a phone call three in the morning, boom, I was up and I was out the door and I was ministering to people. I was like, whoa. I didn't like that answer, so <laughs> I asked another pastor friend of mine, I said, hey, how do you use your phone? Again, another godly man, really respect him, I admire him, a mentor of mine. I said, tell me about your phone. He said, I never have my ringer on my phone. I said, well, that didn't help me at all. I don't know which one to do. So um, here's where I've landed. There are times in your life to eliminate the distractions of this device. So you can keep your focus on what's most important. Not only eliminate some distractions, sometimes you just uh, have to manage those distractions. You know, uh, every one of your apps on your device has a way you can manage the notifications, right? If it's going to vibrate or make a sound or pop up a little icon or have a little number next. You can manage all of that on your notifications. And you guys knew that, right? You're not a dummy like me. I just figured this out. So um, anybody else, if you've got a bunch of stuff at the top, it drives you crazy. 
Like you can't go to bed till you clear it, and then you got to quick go to bed for it. Somebody else calls you. Or, yeah, that's me. You're my people. I'm not going to tell you, but, well, I will tell you. My wife, it like doesn't bother her. And I see her phone. I'm like, oh, you got to clear those. Clear them. Has it ever been clear? No. <laughs> Don't you lie in church, girl. <laughs> I have ever been cleared. To each their own. But listen, I only have two apps that notify me audibly that something's coming through. And I only have five apps total that pop a little icon up at the top. There was a day that I had a whole bunch of things popping up. And every time I got a new tweet, uh, I got a notification. And it popped up at the top of the screen. I couldn't stand having that little, little bird at the top of my screen. So I had to click on Twitter and find out that Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom were back together. <laughs> I'm like, who cares? I was doing something important. And then that came through and I totally lost focus. Listen, I'll give you five apps that notify you. You go above that. I'm just like, you justify that to me. I mean, I, I just don't understand it. Whoops. Distraction. Don't do it. So eliminate distractions, Rod. Good job. All right, last one. Focus killers. Thinking you've arrived. Thinking you've arrived. I love the Apostle Paul's approach to this. He says this in Philippians chapter 3. This is a man that God used more than any other man except Jesus Christ that I can think of. And this is what he had to say near the end of his life, writing a letter from prison. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He's like, I haven't arrived. But I press on to take hold of the for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, there is no arriving. There is no settling down. There is no powering from what God wants me to do. He said, listen, I am going to keep pressing on because I am not a finished work yet. And God isn't finished with me yet either. I mean, he could have cruised, man. This is the guy that literally uh, uh, movements of disciples that were growing on different continents because of his church planning work, he could have taken his foot off the gas, but he didn't. And a guy who God used to write a dozen books in your New Testament, and he's penned all these letters that would later become Scripture and, and recognized as Scripture, he could have taken his foot off the gas, but he didn't. And the guy who literally raised up the next generation of leaders to carry on the leadership of the church when he was dead and gone, and he raises up all these leaders to carry the church forward, and he does that, he, and he doesn't take his foot off the gas. And I love the last view we have of Paul from the last verse of the book of Acts. It's the last thing we get of Paul's life, and it says this. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the last thing you see him doing. 
exactly the same thing he's been doing. He knew what was important, and he knew what he could control, and he was laser-focused at running his race and doing his part that people might know the Savior, that people might be connected with one another, that they might have true community and Christian fellowship, that, that the church might th thrive and flourish, that disciples would be made, and that the whole world would know that Christ had come to settle the score between man and God and bear the weight of our sin, that all might be set free through faith in Jesus Christ, and he never stopped focusing on that, that little sliver. He said, I haven't gotten there until God takes me home. That's where I live. That's my focus. You know, success can breed apathy, not for Paul. It was said of... Uh, Abraham Lincoln one time, a man said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. I would add to that success. You want to find the true metal of somebody? Give them some success, a few attaboys, a, few, a little attention, a little national spotlight, a little claim to fame, a little bit of power, and see how they handle that. Paul said, I'm forgetting all that. I'm moving beyond all that. God's got more for me than that. Don't believe the lie that God's ever finished with you. There's always a what's next with him. There's always a what's next. And in a world of a thousand possibilities and issues and causes that are calling and clamoring for your attention, if you get fuzzy, if you ever get fuzzy, about where to keep our focus, I got a verse for you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let, off, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that's the key. You want to know where the sweet spot is, where what's important and what we control always is in the sweet spot is when you and I fix our eyes on him because he and I will, he'll lead us to that place of what's important and he'll lead us to that place of what we can control. And when we start clamoring about all these things we can't control, he focuses back down to what we can. He said, if you'll just fix your eyes on me today, if you'll just follow lockstep, when I say go, you go, and when I say stop, you stop, I'll lead you to a life of influence and focus and purpose. So how are you going to get unstuck? For some of you in this room, it might mean that there's a shift that needs to happen from the trivial to the important. And what that means is you might need to start reminding yourself on a daily basis. You get a, a version Bible app or a Bible study or a place in the Bible to start reading. And you begin to be reminded of the important things of God on a regular basis. For some in this room, it might mean this, this act of trusting God. There's things outside of your control. Instead of worrying about those things, instead of obsessing about those things, that you entrust them to the God who infinitely knows greater than you and I what he's doing and just as an act of faith you start giving things back to him so God I've been trying to control this God I've been trying to manipulate God I've had my hand in the cookie jar too long I'm giving it back to you maybe there's some focus killers that are probably, there might be someone in this room that needs to give you, your life to God the, the control of your life to him
Because without Him, life just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. See, without God, you're always going to waste your life on the unimportant. And without God in your life, you're always going to seek to control things you can't control. And yet there's a God in heaven who says, listen, I'm willing to, I'm willing to take that burden. And the reality is, is your past does disqualify you from relationship to me. But the good news is, is you getting entrance into my family is not based on your qualifications, but on the qualifications of Jesus Christ. And that he came in perfection. And he came as a, as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And he took the stain of your sin and my sin. And he bore it upon a cross. And he paid for it in full that you and I might have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He did all those things for you and I. If we will choose him as our Savior, the one who forgives us, and the, and the Lord, the one who leads us. Will you bow our head in prayer? Father, I just want to thank you that it's not up to us to control things. We just sang, you're good God Almighty. And we don't have to manipulate. We don't have to try to control. We can learn to trust. And Father, I want to pray for the person in this room that is hanging on to control of their own life and, and trying to call all the shots and, and have resisted your leadership in their life and they've never received Jesus as the sacrifice that will pay for their sin. to give up a control to the God who loves them, who died for them, and will lead them because you know what's best for them. If you, that's you this morning, can you in humility ask God to take over control of your life? And to shift the focus of you being worthy to the fact that Jesus makes you worthy and put your faith in, in, a, in a Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus, the Savior of the world. If that's you today, just say, God, I, I invite you into my life. I invite you to be my forgiver and my leader. I willingly give up control to the God who loves me because I can trust you. God, I pray for the person in this room that's struggling with control in a situation. Lord, grant them the faith to trust you. That, convince them that you care more about that person or situation than they do. And they hand it over to you today. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would not get wrapped up in the trivial, in the temporal, and the things that ultimately aren't going to matter. God, make us about the things that matter most, the people in our lives and the purpose of God. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.